0: Good morning
1: there we
0: go it's good to be back here with you church on the rock i'm gonna lose this thing by the time this is all said and done um jason texted uh, about a week ago earlier this week maybe and asked hey could you guys help me out talking to me and, and jason pipes and said uh would you guys be willing to, to help and uh fill in for us while I take a little bit of a break, because, I mean, have you ever preached, like, week after week after week consecutively? That is a lot, right? And so, uh, I'm sure a well-deserved break, just kind of needing a little bit of a reprieve, it is. It's a lot of work. So, uh, I was glad to do it, glad to help out, and so here I am today, February 14th, Love Day. I was going to try to do my, like, Barry Manilow, but I can't quite get that... <laughs> I can't quite get that low, and I don't know how appropriate that is, so <laughs> we are going to be looking at Psalm 118. We're going to stick to the theme of love, because why not, right? It's Valentine's Day, perfect opportunity, and uh, we actually talked about this a little bit uh, last month with our church, The Refuge, and just to kind of give you guys an update, I know that some of you keep up through the newsletter and things like that, but things seem to be going well. We, we plateaued, mostly because of COVID, it seems like, but... That was to be expected, and we've still seen uh, some new people come in and want to be discipled. We've got one couple where the, the man of the relationship is very, very interested and just all in. He's ready to be discipled. He wants to be baptized. We're having those conversations, and so it's really exciting. And that all happened with a group of nine. At the time, we still had our, our two foster girls, so there were seven of us. So do the math. <laughs> New couple showed up. There was one family there. It had to be super awkward for them. So we're like, hey, guys, how's it going? You know, so that was fun. But uh, no, they're plugged in. They're raring to go. And uh, they've been just meeting with us as consistently and as constantly as they possibly can. And he's just eating it up. He just wants to ask questions about Scripture. He wants to ask questions about what we believe. So it's been really exciting. And we're still hovering around 25, 30 people uh, on any given week because, we we can't get past that hurdle. People don't want to meet and stuff like that, so we understand it, but hopefully this all blows over soon, and we're able to really start investing in more people in our community and continue to draw people in, disciple them as well, but 25 people to disciple, that's a handful. (laughs) That's a lot, and we are developing some really solid disciples, people that are learning what it means to live a Christian life and to understand that better and how that's in our rhythm of life, our day-to-day. It's not something that we compartmentalize. It's something that we live out consistently. And that's not easy to do. So last, last month we did uh, faith over fear. And that's the angle that we took this from. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning as well. But we're actually going to look at it more through the lens of love itself. And so I've, I've titled this sermon, this one-off, no love lost. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? Anybody want to say what it means? When you see this, if you've heard the phrase, what, what comes to mind? You don't care. No, no skin off my back, you know, wipe my hands of it, I'm good. No love lost. Good riddance, right? We're not, we're not looking at it that way. Uh, that would be kind of awkward when we're talking about the Bible and God. It's a, I'm good. See, you, don't let the door hit you on the way out, you know. That would be very strange. So, no, we're taking this from the angle of God's love for us, no love lost, in a sense that his love doesn't go away. And so, if you're already there, Psalm 118, we're going to start reading. We're going to read the first four verses here. It says, praise the Lord, or let me see, that's 117. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I'm going to reread that. And I want you to join me. So on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray before we dive further in. God, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the reminder of this scripture. I know I've been over it recently, and yet I need it all the more even today to be reminded that your steadfast love does endure forever. It never goes away, no matter how good or bad I do, no matter how well I'm walking in this life as your follower and as a disciple of you. uh, I know I don't get it right probably most days, and yet your steadfast love endures forever. Let it be an encouragement, a reminder, but also a challenge to us to exude that same kind of love to the people around us so that they can see you in us. We love you. We thank you for all that you do. Please be with these, these words as they are taught, as they're broken down, and help us to hide them in our heart, apply them to our lives. We love you, and thank you for displaying your love through your son Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, what do you think God wants us to get out of this particular psalm? Right? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe a little bit, right? Four verses, and it's just repetitive. And it breaks it down and it says, First of all, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is a command, right? It's an imperative statement. This isn't asking a question, this isn't pinpointing any particular person. This is just saying, hey, you, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Why? Because. A lot of times what we want to do, we're diving in quick, guys. What we want to do is we want to give thanks because somebody did something for us or something kind to us. And so then we thank them as a reciprocation, right? We're responding to their action or to their words or whatever it might be. And so then we give thanks. For he is good. Okay, how is he good? He's God. This psalm doesn't kick off with the explanation and then say, so because of that, do this thing. It's not... God is good, so give thanks to Him. It's give thanks to God, for He is good, and His love endures forever. We tend to reposition God in ourselves, and, and I would say probably most of the time, and this is just as wrong as, as the next thing, but a lot of times we position God right here. We might give Him an edge, Right? but he's not that far of a leap from where we are. We, we like to be on the even playing field as God a lot of times. And then if we're real honest, it shifts this way, right? God, do what I want you to do. Answer my prayer the way I want you to answer it. And we've lost sight, first of all, of the position that we're supposed to have. Jesus is Lord. God is Lord, right? God is creator. God is God. And so we should be in humble submission to Him. And that makes His love all the greater. Because it's undeserving. It's unmerited. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. He's God and He loves us. That should blow our minds. This is one of those Psalms that could have ended at verse 1. Psalm 117 tried to. They, they went two verses in. But Psalm 118 you could have had verse 1 and just, you, you notice how we repeated in that last song? He loves us, oh, so 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 he loves us. By the way, he loves us. You know, and just, there's nothing wrong with that because it's true, right? So why should we honor God? Why should we serve God? Why, he loves us. And that's more than we deserve. Really, we could have ended with He's God. But no, he goes so, so much further, so much deeper, so much more intimate than that because he loves us. And so if you get nothing else out of this sermon, get this, his love endures. His love endures. You having a crappy week? Turn to God, his love endures. You having a great week? Thank God, his love endures, right? Have you lost something that's in your mind, irreplaceable? His love endures. Are you struggling with depression or anxiety because of all the isolation or maybe you're just prone to it naturally? God's love endures. It's so difficult so many times to get out of a funk, and I know I live it sometimes, where I'm just uh, not enough vitamin D. I don't know. I don't know what the issue is, but for whatever reason, I'm just stuck. I'm paralyzed. I'm like, what do I do? If I would turn to God's Word, or if I would just simply turn to God and be reminded His love endures, that an almighty, all-powerful God loves me, and we hear that. We hear pastors say that all the time, right? We sometimes say it to each other. Our Christianese kicks in, and it sounds like, you know, to other people sometimes, you know, they think we're speaking a different language. I don't know what language that is, but they, they don't always understand it because it's just these Christian phrases that have become our, our pet phrases that we turn to. But let it sink in for just a moment. God, creator of the universe, eternal being, nothing is ab- above or beyond him. There is no hiding from him, and he creates us. And as opposed to everything else, the one contrast in everything revolving around creation He creates the land and the sea and the animals and the plants. And as he does that, he then forms man. He doesn't speak man into existence. He takes the time to form mankind. And then beyond that, like that's not enough, that he takes such intricate, intimate time forming man, he then breathes life through the nostrils of this being that he has created bringing man to life and not just living but to an eternal a relational life and he looks at it and if you go back to the genesis account every time he did something he said it was good it was good it was good and he created man and it was very good He had created something that he cherished. A jealous love. The the most valuable thing of his creation. His love for you endures forever. We we say that kind of stuff, and we, we do. We use this Christianese a lot of times. And it it loses its flavor a little bit. It becomes so diluted. But when you really start thinking about the love of God in your life and how His love endures forever, and then you are having a bad week, or you're having a depressive bout, or you're just sunk, or you lost your job, or somebody's sick and they don't seem to be recovering, or you lose a loved one, or you get sick. And then you recognize this thing and you start to really think about it. You don't, you don't just think about it on the surface. You don't just think about the phrase itself that, well, God's love endures forever. He loves me. That does nothing for us. But when you start to dig deeper and understand the, the real depth of His love, the jealousy of His love, the extent where He casts your sin as far as the east is from the west, and he holds nothing against you, he's a forgiving God because his love endures forever. And you're saying to yourself, there's nothing that I can't get through as long as I'm leaning on him. Not that he doesn't allow things that are too heavy for us. We've heard that mistranslation a lot. I know Rashad, back in the day, he would, he would preach on that, right? He talked about that verse that gets misused and misrepresented so many times where it's like, God won't put anything on us. that's more than we can handle Uh, (laughs) yuh-huh. Anybody ever read Job? Right? Won't put more on you than you can handle. I'm going to take absolutely everything away. Oh, I think I can handle that, God. No. I I honestly believe the very opposite. I think God allows us to fall into situations so that we have to turn to him and depend on him more deeply. There are times where I allow my kids to experience certain things so that they'll turn to me or to their mothers so that they understand we care for them we're going to provide for them we're going to love them we're going to help them through it so that when they finally get to something really hard that is completely out of their control they know where to run and i'm not perfect so how much greater a perfect god who loves us that way who loves us more deeply than we can even imagine so these first four verses they nail it down and, and you see this progression give thanks to the lord everybody give thanks to the lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever let israel your chosen people say his steadfast love endures forever let the house of aaron by which the priesthood comes from those that are supposed to lead out in worship and in teaching and in understanding of god his love endures forever and then he says this, let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. And this can get translated and misrepresented in so many ways as well, right? Fear of the Lord, wait a second, fear of love? Uh, what's that like? I mean, you guys understand, right? Men, you fear your wives, right? Don't, don't, don't answer that. No. There is this reverence, this understanding. My kids know how far they can push before it's too far, right? And then it just gets out of hand. They're like, oh, dad's going to get real mad about this. We've already established God is a jealous God. He says it in his law. I am a jealous God. Have no other gods before me. Have no other idols before me. Worship nothing else above me. I am jealous for you. Give me your attention because I love you. I've, I've given so much how painful is it when, when you love somebody and they don't return that love, right? Or they don't respond the way that, that is appropriate, not even just the way that you want them to, but the way that is appropriate for someone who loves you. And, and we do it. We, we throw things in the face of the people that love us the most. Typically, the people that experience the worst of us are the people who love us the most, right? Right? My children, my siblings, my uh, siblings growing up might be questionable, but, you know, your spouse, your parents, those are the, my kids are, are usually better for other people than they are for me and my wife, right? We all understand that as parents, those of you that are, and that's great, I'm glad that we've trained our kids so well, right? But we get the worst of them, and this is a reminder, don't, don't give God the worst of yourself. <laughs> Let those who fear the Lord, those who have an understanding, those who have positioned themselves properly where God has his rightful place as Lord of our lives, as creator of the universe, as an almighty, omniscient, omnipotent God and us in humility and in submission and in reverence and honor. Say his love endures forever that's where we belong. If nothing else, get that message. Then in verse 5, let's go ahead and, and continue on. We're going to be looking at all these verses and just clump them together and break them down. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isn't that amazing? What can man do to me? Continues on. The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Hang out there for just a second. Look at how this this writer is just in triumph and in victory and in this conquering praise. Towards God, I know. Paul put it this way: I know whom I've believed in, and I know that He's able to keep what I've entrusted to Him until that day where He calls me home. I know, my God, I know what He's capable of. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said it this way to Nebuchadnezzar: They said, "We cannot do this thing that you ask of us, King. We can't bow down to your idol. We refuse. The only one we worship is Jehovah God, and we know." that he is able to rescue us out of this situation. But even if he doesn't. And for that reason it's one of my favorite Bible stories, right? And maybe maybe that's a little cynical, but I always thought it was cool when I was a kid that that God rescues them out of the furnace and you know Jesus or whatever you might believe that son of God was, I think it was Jesus, <laughs> in the furnace with them. And they come out unscathed. I kind of wonder if they even smelled like soot. You know what I mean? Who knows? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they smelled kind of toasty, you know? Nice little campfire they were hanging out around. But not a spot, not a singe on them. And they walk out. And that was the coolest thing as a kid. And then as I became a a teenager and got a little bit more, like, morose, you know? And a little, little more hum and cynicism started to set in and then as an adult the thing that blows my mind is their faith even in the midst of it all because god didn't have to save them to prove a point and they still chose to do the right thing even if he doesn't save us we know he's able to so we're still going to worship him why because we know his love endures forever what can man do to me jesus when he's preaching one of his many sermons says Don't fear the person that can kill the body. Fear the one who can take away the soul. And so that's that reverent fear of God. That's that understanding. And so this this psalmist is saying, and and many believe that this might come from the time of Jehoshaphat and the time where Judah and Israel were split up. and, And Jehoshaphat leads Israel into battle, and they are outnumbered and outmanned. Anybody seen Hamilton yet? No? Still? Okay, a few of you. But they're they're living that story they're they don't have the weapons they need they're outmanned they're outgunned like what are we going to do and in their distress the king decides he's going to go to god and he's going to thank god and praise god and remind not just god but himself of who god is and he says this very phrase that we've been repeating his love your love endures forever remember your people you brought out of egypt remember your people whom you defeated their enemies remember your people who you established your chosen people and then God looks and says, you know what, you're not even going to fight in this battle. It's an awesome, incredible story. I encourage you to go read it. But Psalm 118 is, is a response to that. It's, it's a praise song that was birthed out of that, many scholars believe. And you see that, you get a hint of that as you read these verses. What can man do to me? It's better to take refuge in the Lord. It's better to place yourself in the safety of the Lord than it is to trust in man. It's better to take refuge and place yourself in the safety of the Lord, of Jehovah, than it is to trust in princes, those who are supposed to dominate and conquer and lead to victory. They don't matter. God is the one that we can find our safety, our refuge in. All nations surrounded me. The name of the Lord, I cut them off. it's completely flipped around when you're surrounded most people are like i surrender right i've been defeated i know when to wave the flag i'm done and life knocks us on our butts sometimes day after day and that's exactly where we where we live is surrounded in our frustration our circumstances our attitude whatever it is that's weighing us down and what we really need to be saying is those those thoughts those feelings those circumstances they surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord I cut them off look at it, it says they surrounded me like bees in verse 12 they went out like a fire among thorns in the name of the Lord I cut them off I was pushed hard so that I was falling and falling, and falling, and falling, and desperate, and I just wanted to wake up because I feel like I'm in despair, and there's nowhere to go, but the Lord helped me. So where do you turn in your desperation? Where do you turn when you're falling, when you feel surrounded, when you feel like bees are on the attack, or you're in the midst of a fire? In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. Let's go ahead to verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. That's crazy, right? Because who deserves to be exalted above all else? God, right? but the right hand of god the the power the strength of god does valiantly and it exalts it exalts us to a place where we do not deserve to be the right hand of the lord does valiantly verse 17 says i shall not die but i shall live and recount the deeds of the lord and you might be thinking to yourself yeah but but what about that loved one that passed away they died I shall not die but but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Or or what about that believer that was so strong and then they they passed away or, or or they came down with this thing that they can't seem to overcome on their own. What about that? What what then? How does that individual say or how does how do I say I shall not die but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord? And the problem is is because we live in this temporal world, right? And and we We expect everything to be in this temporal place. Everything is in the here and now. And the further we get in life, the more and more it's like that. The more we're expecting the here and now. Instant access, right? Wi-Fi is not fast enough. My phone's not doing this, right? Mashed potatoes are taking too long, whatever it is, right? And we we want the instant potatoes because we think that that's better. We think that that's what life is all about because that's what we live. That's what we know is around us. That's what we experience every day. And that's why we have to have this reminder constantly that God's love endures forever and that his love for us is not limited by time and it's not limited by space, but it is eternal. It is forever. It is beyond this world. It is beyond this temporal life. This isn't where we have hope. He didn't rescue us for today. He rescued us for forever. (laughs) And that's, that's the next thing that we need to look at when we see that terminology is his love rescues. His love rescues us. Sometimes, yeah, in this world, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? But then sometimes it's not in this world. And those are the stories that we love and that we run to when Lazarus was raised from the dead and, and, and Joseph became second to rule all of Egypt and stuck it to his brothers, right? Job was given everything tenfold back and then his wife had to go through labor again. Ten more kids. Woo! <laughs> Whatever. Uh, anyway, she deserved it, right? Um, he rescues us, and those are the stories that we look at, but, but again, those live in this world. What about the person that they don't, they don't see it in this world or in this life? And so many, so many, so many thoughts come to mind. So many people come to mind that have dealt with things and that in this life weren't able to overcome them. Um, I remember begging God for the lives of people and it just, it didn't work out the way that I wanted it to work out. My aunt, a few years ago, she uh, she passed away. She had ovarian cancer, went into remission, and it came back very aggressively. And, and if you know anything about ovarian cancer specifically, it is already a very aggressive cancer. So for it to double down on her, um, she kept fighting it. Her body tried responding to treatments, and it just, the second bout, it didn't work and it attacked her and it attacked her and attacked her and weekly and to a point, it got to daily. I was getting updates from my parents. I was living in Pennsylvania at the time. My aunt was in Arkansas. My parents were here in Indiana. And so I'm sitting here and I'm just praying and, and, and I'm praying selfishly, absolutely, 100%. And if anybody tells you you shouldn't pray selfishly, that's dumb. <laughs> I think that your motive and your heart should be right but I think absolutely we should pray for those things. The problem is when we pray for those things and it doesn't turn out the way we want it to, then we want to blame God, accuse God, hold it against God. God is God. He's not your butler that you can just ring a bell and he'll, he'll serve something to you on a silver platter. He's not a genie that you rub the lamp. He's God. And so I'm going to God and, and she still to this day is one of my personal Christian heroes. You know, we We read the Bible about these these heroes and these characters who did these great things, and there are probably people in your life that you can pinpoint that to, and my Aunt Beverly was one of those people, and I was like, man, she just, she had this faith, and she gave so much of her life. She went on mission trip after mission trip, medical and college mission trips, And, and she taught school, and she got to lead some of her students to Christ, and all of her extra time, she seemed to devote to church and to God, and for her to have cancer, of all people. I'm like, you've got this champion, God. And I know for a fact, if you healed her, you would get all the glory. Like, this would blow up. She would maybe write a book. Who know? Like, I don't know, but she could do so many great things for you in the aftermath of her recovery and of you giving her her life back. And then she died shortly before her 50th birthday. And I wrestled and I struggled with the fact that she, she had died at, at that time, a young age in my opinion. Now, I definitely feel like it was a young age as I get older. So 49 years old, made it to the month but not to the date of her birthday. And she passes away and we go to, to the memorial service. And she actually had two, which was mind-blowing. She had one in the city, that she, the town she grew up in. And there were hundreds of people there, but her primary memorial service was the city that she had currently lived in, and there were thousands of people, both in attendance and watching a live stream online, and her entire funeral was one of the most amazing ones that I have ever attended because it was a worship service. Talk about worshiping in Sorrow. And just in this moment where we're singing and worshiping God and we're suffering this loss, and I'm like, I don't, there's something weird about this. This is abnormal, dare I say, supernatural. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. That we can turn to God in the midst of our sorrow and say His love endures forever. And God, in that moment when she took her last breath on this earth, rescued her from a decaying body. His love rescues. Let's keep going. Verse 18. Verse 18 says this, the Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. The Lord disciplines. This is the one that we don't like. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but has not given me over to death. His love endures forever. Yay! Right? You know what's included in love? Discipline. To the one the Lord loves, The Lord punishes, he chastens, he disciplines. How many of you has God loved a lot? (laughs) Right? You know, as my kids get older, it thankfully is becoming a little less. But, you know, when they were younger, I loved them a lot all over the house, right? (laughs) And when I was younger, it was that way. There's expectations, there's standards, there's morals, there's all these things that God has for us that He expects of us, that He holds us to. And He says, I love you too much to let you be what you are. I want to make you into something better. And you see this this heartfelt response of someone who is mature and understands where they say, the Lord disciplines me. And not just a little bit, severely. (laughs) The Lord disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. That's how I know he loves me. He shows me mercy. I deserve him just to take me out. Like, I don't really deserve to be here anymore, but even in his discipline, he shows mercy. And through that, both discipline and mercy, he's expressing his love, his love that endures forever Move beyond on verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. You know what? I'm going to pause. Let's keep reading, first of all. Verse 20 says, If this, this is the gate of the Lord, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The same person that, that this psalmist is writing about that disciplines severely but not to death is also talking about the salvation. And I would say... As we read this in context, this salvation is through the discipline that he has delivered. It corrects, it rights the ship, it puts us back on the right track. And that's what discipline does, and that's what our fear of the Lord should do, is put us back in right standing with God and on the right track with our, with our fellow man and with the people around us so that we're living a life that actually exemplifies jesus and people look at us and they're like man how do you live that way and we say well god his love endures forever that's how i make it through each day and when i do something wrong i know i deserve when something bad happens and i understand not all consequences are because of my own doing but i know that some of them are consequences and i know that it's because god wants me to be the best person that i can be for him and so that's what i do now I told you, as, as parents, we understand that. We, we love our kids to the point of discipline, and if we don't, we should, because it shows them that we know what's best for them, we want what's best for them, and we want to redirect them to go the right way. We want to better them now so they don't have to learn the hard lessons later, Right? As far as fear of God, my my dad put the fear of God in me a few times, but there's one instance that really, really sticks out. And some of you may have heard this story, but uh, I remember, and I may have told it here before, I don't know, uh, I remember uh, asking my dad if we could get in this kiddie pool that our neighbors had. And he's like, we got to go pick up your sister, you can't get soaking wet. No. And we're like, "Well, well, what if we just stick our feet in the water? Sure, whatever, go for it. So we go, and of course we just drench ourselves, me and my brother, and get completely just soaked. And so, he calls us, we run back, and my brother's getting reamed out, and he can't get a, a word in edgewise, and my dad's like, I can't believe you did this, and blah, blah, blah. And finally, by the time he takes a breath, my brother's like, well, well Jonathan did it too, and he goes, well, Jonathan's completely dry, because I'm, I'm smart, and I took a change of clothes.
1: <laughs> you know?
0: Preteen boy, I can get dressed like that, man, that doesn't take no time, so my brother decides to wrap me out, and be like, well, yeah, he took a change of clothes, I'm like, jerk, like, throw me under the bus, and he just didn't want to be under there alone, so <laughs> he's like, no, if I'm going down, you're going down with me, brother, so we end up getting completely chewed out by my dad, and we're sitting there, and we're just taking it, we're just looking kind of straight ahead, and we're driving in the car, going to pick up my sister, and then my dad just stops talking. And it's eerily quiet, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? We're like, Dad, please yell at us some more, <laughs> right? <laughs> and he's sitting there, and his knuckles are just turning white, gripping the steering wheel. And then finally he goes, I can't believe you boys did this. Whack! Just punches the windshield, and it just spiders. I don't know if any of you have ever tapped on a windshield. They're not thin. <laughs> so when we see it crack, my brother and I both went white. Like, I know I'm a little pale already, but like, Casper was riding with my dad now. And our eyes are big and we're not blinking. We're like, if we don't move, maybe he won't see us, right? And all of the red in his face went away. Because now he was afraid of what my mom was going to say after he told her this story. But when we saw the power of our dad and his wrath and that anger, which some of it might have been misplaced, but still, when we saw that anger and we saw how he responded in it and we were just thankful we weren't the windshield, (laughs) we're like, do whatever you want. Punish us, ground us, like for a month, for a year, whatever you need to do, we, we're good. <laughs> and we were ready to, to take whatever discipline he wanted to dole out at that point. We knew we deserved it. And that what he was expecting of us was respect and honor and, and a level of maturity and the deceit that I had caused. How it's not okay. And he wanted a right path for us. And God, as a great God who, whose love endures forever, he wants that same thing for us. And so he does. He disciplines us so that he can redirect us. And he doesn't always hand us over to death. In fact, I would say he usually doesn't hand us over to death. He wants to teach us a lesson in the here and now so that we can correct it and we can live a life according to the way he wants us to live. But so many times, again, we want to shake our fist at God. How dare us? Who are we to do that? His love endures. His love rescues. His love disciplines. And then as we continue on, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus actually quotes this psalm in some of his teaching. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. His love saves. And many of you, I know you're, uh, at least enough of your story that you understand this concept. His love, story, uh, his love stories. His love saves. Saves your soul, saves your life for eternity. His love saves. He is the cornerstone that's rejected. A- and we don't always have a grasp on that, but as you dig into it and you understand, the foundation falls apart without that cornerstone. We need that salvation. We need Him to be that sacrifice We need him to be under the pressure of us, of our sin, of our wrong. That's the imagery here. Do you guys see that? Do you get that? He's having to hold us up. And while it's nothing to God because he's God, I almost get this mental picture of Atlas, the, the Greek titan who had to hold up the world on his shoulder, and he's having the weight of it just bearing down on him. And Jesus, having the weight of our sin, bearing down on him, the beautiful thing about it is that was very momentary for him. He held that for us in his life on this earth, and then he died, and he put to death, sin, hell, and the grave, and then he arose victorious. And he doesn't bear that burden anymore. That should be exciting. (laughs) It's not a burden for him anymore, but he had to be that cornerstone. He had to bear the weight of us on him so that he could save us. And you look at that, and when you think about the crucifixion, and and, and you see the gruesomeness and the goriness of it, and then you read this verse in verse 23 and verse 24, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us be glad for what he has done. This isn't taking joy in the fact that he had to die for our sins because we're, we're just stupid people. I was going to say it, and then I was like, no, I'm not, and then I did it anyway. We are. The Bible actually says it. <laughs> it's, it talks about how we just make stupid decisions, and we live in our sin, and we allow our flesh to overcome so often. And so the reason that we have gladness and the, we, the reason that we're able to rejoice in the salvation and in the cornerstone and in the, the death of Jesus is because it gives us hope and it gives us something to look forward to. And then as we wrap up this, this psalm, save us, we pray, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, we, give, uh, we pray, give us success. In verse 26, it says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now we're talking about believers, right? We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords upon the horns of the altar. This does not sound exciting to me, guys. I'm sorry, but binding an animal and then slitting its throat is not like, I worship you, Jesus, right? But it's a reminder of what he had to do for us. It's recognizing that death it's part of it. And the only way we come out of it is to understand the sacrifice that was presented to God and that how our lives in worship is now that sacrifice that God deserves. Verse 28 and 29, you are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, finish it off for me, for He is good, His love endures. And we end the way we started. And now we have the context. We don't simply worship and praise God and rejoice just because He's God, just because He deserves it for who He is. We worship and we praise Him because of what He's done for us. We worship and praise Him because He is our salvation. We worship and praise Him because He blesses us. And if you understand the term blessing, it's not something that you deserve. It's not something that you earn. It's something that is above and beyond. It is something that is gifted to you. And so, He blesses us. And so, those of you that are blessed by God and the most blessed of God, I would dare say, are the ones who have salvation and who have Christ in their lives and who have that resurrecting power residing inside of you and so you who are blessed by God recognize that his steadfast love endures forever and what he was willing to give up to take the pressure of the world knowing what it was going to cost him and saying I'm just going to throw it all away I'm going to set eternity to the side I'm going to set my majesty to the side I'm going to set my godliness as far as my position of God to the side and I'm going to come and I'm going to die for the sins of man and I'm going to bless them. And so we're going to wrap up here as as the worship team comes up and do this song Reckless Love and you've heard it and it's not reckless in the sense of God didn't know what he was doing and he doesn't think about consequences. No, it's reckless in the sen- in the sense that it's relentless and that he did count the cost, and he didn't care. He counted the cost and said, it's worth it. I don't know about you, but I, that's, I can't say that about certain things. There are certain things in my life where I'm like, no, that ain't worth it. That is definitely not worth it. That is disgusting. That's miserable. That doesn't have enough value for me to give it my time or my effort or my energy. Everybody there with me? It might be a person. might be a thing. It's not worth spending my money on. It might be a thought. And we just dismiss it. It's not worth it. And then when you start making that comparison between us and God, that what righteousness we might think we have is like filthy rags, like pus-covered, or menstrual rags? That's our level of righteousness compared to God? In my mind, that ain't worth it. (laughs) That our sin has separated us from God, that those who are His own rejected Him? I don't know, that's mind-blowing, that's just not worth it. But God looked and he said, it is, it's worth it. And so, I want to display my relentless, my reckless, my abandoning love for you. To abandon all other things for you. This reckless love that you can't earn, that you don't deserve. And I want to give it to you. And as I give it to you, I want you to express that to the people around you. I want you to express that at work and at home and at home and at home because home tends to be the hardest place to express it. And to your friends and to whatever you encounter throughout your day, no matter what you're going through, no matter what, what's going on in your head or what's going on in your life, I want you to know I, no, I love you. I love you endlessly. No love lost. It can't be lost. It won't go away. Not that I've given up and that it's no skin off my back and I can walk away easily. No, I I want you to understand, I can't walk away. It's impossible. My love endures forever. No love lost because it's not going anywhere. It's a love that's willing to give up everything else. So as we bow and as we pray, I want this going through your mind. I want you to filter everything through this thought of his steadfast love endures forever. No matter what it is, God's love is bigger and it's greater. And we need to thank him for it. We need to rejoice and praise him for it. God, we love you. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you were willing to display your love for us. We God, we just don't deserve it and I don't know that we understand that enough that we really take into account what that means, that your love endures forever and that it's a love that is willing to give up everything, to give up heaven, to give up your place in eternity to come down to this earth and to live among us and to take on our own sin and to, to make yourself filthy, to bear the burden and to pay the price that we should have paid all because you love us. Help us to return that love. And if there's somebody that hasn't responded to that love, God, I pray that they would, that they would understand their need for you in their life and that they would receive the salvation that you so freely give because your son died on the cross and rose again victorious and there is no burden to bear anymore. For those who might be struggling, God, I pray that they would turn to you Pray that they would spend time in your word, that they would praise, that they would surround themselves with others that will express your enduring love. We thank you and we love you and we praise you and we lift this song up to you as an
1: So good
2: close that out. (laughs) That was awesome. Um, Man, don't let February 14th be the only day you think of love and the love that God pours upon us each and every day. I mean, we're filthy. He talked about it. The menstrual rags. Thanks, bud. That's a good picture. But in all honesty, like, that is so true. We're such a people that don't deserve that and he still pours it out daily to us. Can we, this week, challenge ourselves to try this week, pouring it out to God each and every day? Let's pray. Dear God, Lord, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for the message. We thank you for the reminder of the love that you have for your people. Lord, I pray that as we go out this week, Lord, that we think about it daily. Lord, that we don't wait for the one time a year that we call the the love day, Valentine's Day, whatever it is, Lord, but Lord, that we show it each and every day. Lord, we just ask that you'll continue to be with us, Lord, that you'll continue to watch over and guide us. Lord, I pray for any prayers that were lifted up today to you during the invitation, Lord, I just ask that you hear them and your will be done. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at www.churchontherockbb.com.